The devil's hands have been busy. What is it? It's real flesh and blood, though it seems to heal itself quickly. The heart is human and very powerful. The brain, too, but with a chip interface. Have you done to me? It has a hybrid nervous system. One human cortex, one machine. What have they done? Who built you? My name is Marcus Wright. You think you're human? I am human. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, and hello, and welcome to episode 165 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, as always, joined by fellow Cyber co hosts Charlie, Chris, and Dave. How are you all? Oh, good for you! <laughs> good for you! I'm done with you, block professionally, man. Don't look at me, don't look at me! Don't move my lights around, oh my god. And, um, yeah, I mean, it. it, it, it you could say that that was uh, personally done because it's about the only interesting thing about this film. But anyway. The one bit that survived. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, during filming, they went to do a scene with Christian Bale and the director of photography was in his eyeline messing around with lights during a take. And he absolutely lost his shit because it comes in the dialogue that he says, I can't remember how many times it is, but it's like that's about the third time that day. And he said, I'm not in the scene if you're distracting me with this. But he lost it. And he was like asking McGee what he thought of it and saying they were done professionally and saying, if it happens again, I will not come on the set if you're still employed and that sort of thing. And absolutely went off at him. Christian Bale, to his credit, has constantly <clears> said <throat> in interviews since, sorry, unreservedly, uh, that, and he did carry on that day with the guy. And he says, I was out of order. There's absolutely no excuse for it. But it doesn't speak to the happiest working environment. No, it doesn't. I think, that, yeah, that's probably... It, it's Basically, it tells a lot when the most interesting thing about a film is kind of what happens behind the scenes, what happens off screen. But no, I mean, yeah, as you say, to his credit, Christian Bell has... He's since held his hand up and said, yep, no, my bad. You know, myself it, and my colleague are on good terms now, so that's good. It's a bad, it was a bad year or so for him, actually, because he was filming that around the time The Dark Knight came out. And he was arrested for some sort of assault on his family around that time as well, which again, Gosh, I remember that. He was yeah, cleared. didn't he attack his sister or something? Well, he was yeah. cleared. He, he was completely was cleared, but um, yeah, from a PR perspective, it was a bit of a bad couple of months. Bit of a rough year for Mr. Bale. But then he's always kind of been known as that method, super method actor, hasn't he? If you look at the, um, the machinist and how much weight he lost for that. Oh, yeah, gosh, I would recommend anyone look that up, 
anyone, go to a Google image search, type in Christian Bale, The Machinist. It's the film he did immediately before Batman Begins. Yeah. Now, whilst, whilst he wasn't overweight in Batman Begins, he's visibly bigger than he is in the two sequels. The reason being, he was he had to put on as much weight as he could as quickly as possible and actually went sl- slightly too far and had to like reverse course quite late. Um, the Machinist, he got down to something like 120 pounds. And it is absolutely shocking to look at. Apparently, he said, I remember he said that his diet was just coffee and apples. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not a uh, lot of nutrition there. This stuff can't be good for you. And I, I know no. um, Matt Damon had to lose a load of weight for Courage Under Fire when he was younger. And he had to take medication for a good period of time afterwards because he completely fucked his metabolism. He was running like 13 miles a day or something and barely eating. Um, can't be good for you. Can't be no, good. No, it just goes to show what dedication these actors have for their roles. And he's continued to do it, Christian Bale. He, he shrunk down for like, uh, what was it called? Harsh. Oh, harsh, t- harsh times. Was it harsh times? It didn't sound right in my head. I think it was called that. He did very similar for the fighter. He got very thin. Yeah. Fat. He got very fat. Yeah. To play uh, Cheney and Vice. Yeah, complete transformation um, again. He got, he, got very, he got very fat for American Hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even he said now that like I'm in I'm in my mid 40s. I don't think I can do this for much longer. <laughs> He's probably had um, enough now. <laughs> they can do so it. I've, I've, I've always had a lot of respect for him, but as we go into this, I think it's I think his presence isn't necessarily a positive. But we'll go into it. What are we covering tonight, Becca? Tonight we have oh, reached a low point <laughs> for me. Um, yes. Yeah, so tonight we review Terminator Salvation, starring Christian Bale, Anton Yelchin, Common, Sam Worthington, after a raft of other guys. Helena Bonham Carter, Bryce Dallas Howard, can't say her name, Bryce Dallas Howard, Moonblood, Michael Ironside, and Terry Crews. The score by Danny Elfman, written by John Prancato and Michael Ferris, directed by McGee, ugh, and released in 2009. Sorry, not a fan of McGee. I'll just have my uh, hold my hand up. Well, what, else, what else do we know McGee from? Let's start there. Um, Charlie's Angel. <laughs> both of the Charlie's Angels films. Now, the, char- the first Charlie's Angels film I really, really struggled with. The second one is arguably worse, but kind of enjoyable. It's one of those films you feel dirty when it finishes, because it was like, that is absolutely unredeemable shit, <laughs> but bits of it were all right. It's fun. I always thought he was a very strange fit to this material, because the thing about McGee, when you talk about like shit, po- shit popular directors, i.e. directors who are given 100 million plus budgets, but we think they're crap, I tend to think of Michael Bay. Uh, uh, Roland Emmerich, Stephen Summers, uh, Brent Ratner, and McGee. They tend they tend to be the five I think of. And when I look at them, I think Michael Bay. It's his mentality that gets. He's in, in a way. class all of his own, surely. Well, Michael Bay is. I mean, I don't want to just re- repeat Kermode because Kermode always talks about his sensibility, so I don't want to use that word. But it's certainly his mentality. Is that it, he's got a very when you actually look at his shot making, it's pretty good. Of, of on a talent level, I think Michael Bay is probably the strongest, but he's also probably the Brett Ratner aside, the the person amongst all of them I'd like least. I think his attitude stinks. Um, Stephen Summers is shite. I mean, I found Van Helsing absolutely unwatchable. Um, Brett Ratner's a horrible human being. Roland Emmerich, I think, just takes everything very, very seriously. Um, if you want really ham-fisted dialogue, he's your man. But when I, when, if I were to like group them, 
G's most like Brett Ratner in that they've got kind of a lighter sensibility, the pair of them. So a future war Terminator film, he doesn't strike me as the most natural fit. Don't know what you think. No, but then again, this this was kind of, kind of I mean, what is McGee's natural fit? Because he did Charlie's Angels, then he did uh, some like drama on uh, about football. I mean, I've not seen it, it's got Matthew McConaughey in it. but And then he did this, and then he followed it up with like a, with a couple of like kind of action comedy type things. Yeah. But without the Charlie's Angels, like. Um, I think he's best suited to like a buddy cop film. Yeah, he's it's very much strikes me as like uh like by the numbers, just just get someone just to do a job. Yeah, I've I've no actual stylistic I mean, ability at, as well. At, at but... very least, of all of those men I've just um, named, he, he's the one you'll never hear anything bad about in terms of like working with and what kind of man he is. And he's produced on a few things, and and he's apparently a very sort of eager and and friendly collaborator. So I've got nothing against the man, but he, he, I mean, if you were going to, even if you were going to put him on a Terminator film, this isn't the one. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, be I'm sure he's a he's a lovely person, um, and as an artist, can't fault his methods. But still, uh, there's nothing wildly incompetent in it. But no, I, so it's nothing. It's personally, it's just, it's just the film, to be honest. So yeah, apologies on that front. Me, he, he reminds me a little bit um, in terms of the end result uh, to somebody like Len Wiseman. Because whenever I watch a Len Wiseman film, I see a complete appropriation of other people's ideas. I've, I've, always, I've always given the example of the Total Recall remake. The Total Recall remake had... Um, I, I, I haven't read the book, um, so I don't know what, what's in the Philip K. Dick uh, work that preceded it. But in the remake, um, he lives one side of the planet, Colin Farrell, and he goes through like the planet core on some fast you know, elevator thing effectively to the other side. And one side of the planet looks, bear in mind, Philip K. Dick and what Philip K. Dick wrote. Um, One side of the planet looks like Minority Report and the other side of the planet looks like Blade Runner. And that's Len Wiseman in a nutshell. Uh, You're making a Philip K. Dick uh, piece of work and he's just looked at previous adaptations, a copy two of them, and got averagey performances out of everyone. In the same uh, way that Underworld was pretty much the Matrix with with a bit of Blade. Horror elements. Yeah, it was yeah. the Matrix. Yeah, we noted. Underworld. Underworld. I was looking forward to Underworld because the trailers were pretty good and it looked so stylish. But Underworld took effectively the visual landscape of films from about three to four years before it came out. Yeah. When you take when you look at how long films take to make, that's about right. So he, he got the project greenlit and basically took that sort of leather and green filter style of turn of the century for a 2003 film. Um, McGee, when I look at this film, I'm looking at Mad Max 2. I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at Black Hawk Down. Um, Mad Max 2 was referenced. That was an influence on him. He did actually name that. And there were others I've forgotten, but there's, there's quite a bit of, um, with the desaturation, it's got a bit of black hawk down about it as well. Yeah. It's interesting so, that you uh, mentioned that as well because this, this film. I mean, I, I'm nowhere near an expert on the, on the series as you guys are, but it strikes me not 
really as a Terminator film, but primarily as a war film. Especially if this was part. This was meant to be part of a future war trilogy, um, which sadly second and third parts never came to be. Um, but I kind of got, got the vibe of this film. It's very. It's more of a, of a war film rather than a Terminator film, for example. That's just the vibe that I got. It doesn't. Sorry if that's it wrong. No, no, no. It, you're right. It doesn't feel like a Terminator film. It doesn't feel like there's any connection. It's to not the structured like films. Yeah. No. But even even the, even, even, the way, even the way it looks and the way it feels, it just it feels. If it didn't have Danny Elfman occasionally quoting the uh, the, the Terminator percussion, the do 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 do, that it it's waiting for your dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's asleep on the sofa. She's not going to bark it this time. <laughs> I don't think so. But uh, so, yeah. we're recording and she's one of the crew. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Dog's got talent. Um, but yeah, no, it just it just just looked kind of like the design of the film, the visual language of the film feels nothing like what we've seen previously, even on Terminator 3, which wasn't a very good film, but it was so kind of glossy as this film. This film. For, for the fact that it's set in a post-apocalyptic landscape in this gritty war, it's really glossy looking. And, um, yeah, it just, it, it, whatever he was going through, Mad Max, Children of Men as well. Perhaps Children of Men, I can see in it. I've yeah, forgotten that. He's quoted us. Um, that, uh, but it, it just doesn't, doesn't work. While we're on that subject, I, I would just like to say to anyone listening, it was a criminally underseen film, Children of Men. Uh, 2006 Clive Owen film. I'm not the biggest Clive Owen film in the world, uh, found in the world, but um, Children of Men was an, uh, was an exceptional film from about 2006. It's set, in a, few, book as well. it's set in a future it. world where no children have been born in like 18 years. The world is kind of sterile, and it's um, it's a really fascinating film. I'm not going to say anything more than that, but seek it out, please, folks. It's very, very good. I can heartily recommend that for sure, both the film and the book. Go check it out. I did. I didn't know it was an adaptation, actually. And Michael Caine's hair. <laughs> yeah, f- fabulous. Michael Caine looks like uh, a stoner. It's quite funny. Um, he, he does look a bit dishevelled. Bless yeah. him. I think that speaks. Before we get into opening thoughts, list, just on a. Just on a conceptual basis, I think this is proof the series was dead after T2. Because T3 was a rehash of T2. We talked about it last week. It was just a, let's make another Terminator film. Let's make it feel a bit similar. Let's see if we can squeeze a bit more out of this. Arnie's about to go and be governor. Let's just see what we can do. So that was fine. Um, But I've always, always believed you must never show the future war except in little flash forwards because the film is about the films are about the series is about the distance between um, preparation and, and hope. If you like, I probably used different words to describe that in a previous week, but you're either preparing for a future you can't avoid or you're seeking for some kernel of hope that you can avoid it. And even in preparation, there's hope because the hope is your future child, your future self, depending on who we're talking about. I think once you go into the future, you've missed the point. I just think you've, you've missed the point entirely. The whole series was about can we either avoid this future or keep the chances of us surviving this future alive? And that's why it should have stopped after T1, driving away with that that bit where, you know, there's a storm coming and that just momentary pause where she looks and takes a breath and says, I know. 
that that's the heart of the series um, yeah. I, I almost don't like the T2's hope maybe we can stop it but I'll buy it that's okay um, that's the problem with this film conceptually I don't actually think there's a series set in the future I don't think there is I, I do always remember about talk about oh wouldn't it be cool if he did a film set in that in in the in in the, in the future war kind of like kind of setting uh I, I, I don't know whether that was mostly sort of driven by studio or no i think that was fan driven but yeah. bear in mind we, we've talked a lot and and when we say this we don't mean to patronize listeners because we include ourselves in this in the what you want and what you need are two different things when it comes to film because yeah. I, I'd love to see Freddy Krueger's backstory. I'd, I'd love to see Mike Myers' backstory. I, I'd love to know a bit more about James Bond. But actually, in storytelling terms, you mustn't. And we've got countless examples of where that was a bad idea. So if you're constantly hinting a future war, fans are going to say, I want to see that. Yeah. Um, but with the greatest respect to anyone listening, and I include myself, we're all wrong to want that. And that's almost egotistical to sort of put ourselves above you to say that. But like, we can look at countless examples in recent film history in the last 10 years where they tried to show us a bit more. And actually, it was totally, totally the wrong thing to do. Because either it didn't work because the backstory's not important. When Kyle comes back and says, there was a war and your son sorted it out, that's all you need to know. The details are actually irrelevant. It's all about trying to keep her alive. Yeah. Um, and so either the story's irrelevant or it's not actually there. I'd love to see the future war. Well, they haven't thought it through. It's just a fucking plot device. You're asking them to invent something completely superfluously. Or, at very worst, it demystifies characters. And I've always believed you must see as little adult John Connor as possible. Uh, and to see a sort of a flawed, gruff Christian Bale demystifies this very, very special man. It's much more interesting, whatever you think about John Connor, to look at him and just go, I wonder how he gets from this to that. Yeah. And just leave it at that. I don't know if you guys agree with that. What do you think, Becca? Um, it's difficult. It's difficult. I mean, especially talking about um, knowing prequels or sort of you know how, how these characters came to be um obviously missed the point but looking at bond for example obviously hickson and cole's young bond books have, have been you know multi-million bestsellers around the world um and you've got the bond origin stories by Dy uh, by dynamite as well um again huge popular all the world over um so i think there is you know especially for that kind of story as well there is that appetite there but i think here i, I do agree with what you're saying i think you know to a certain extent i think um for this film wasn't really the time or the place um it perhaps could have been done in a in a different way you can kind of you know show flashes of it um but you know to pick up on your point as well charlie um for a kind of what that's kind of really really gritty as well but also it kind of looked a, a bit too a bit too shiny a bit too polished um it perhaps could have been done you know in, in a slightly different way um with with a different vision in mind um 
there's nothing wrong with kind of saying, okay, so we're going to go back to the roots of the character and, and see, kind of explore that, see what happened. Um, but I think this is also a special case as it was meant to be the first part of a trilogy, which which didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, well, I say unfortunately, not too sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just sort of think that, I don't know, but a, a bit of half and half, really, column A, column B. Um, but I think perhaps from looking at this particular do, arc, arc of the storyline, it perhaps could have taken another, well, another filmmaker's vision, I guess. You do raise an interesting point by referring to the literary angle. Yeah, obviously that, that's kind about, of like my only frame of reference, but I'm just well, trying to think. But yeah, that, I suppose we well, kind of go Well, maybe that's back. a middle ground, because you've always got expanded universe in most fandoms. Mm. So, for example, I don't want to see a young Picard at the Starfleet Academy series. I'm happy with just a reference that he was a bit of an asshole when he was there. But there's nothing wrong with like writing it into like what if fiction if people want to go and read that. But it's not hard canon. It's a bit like in Bond, you had the Jane Moneypenny books. Well, in official canon, now she's Eve Moneypenny anyway. It's not even the same character. No. So I don't know. What do you guys think? I think this whole backstory shit that because that's what this is. I know it's <laughs> so the it's future, just... but it's backstory. Yeah, uh, well, you know, it, it backstory but reverse. Yeah, um, I, I kind of think it's it's okay, or at least if you have a decent idea, you should try to explore it. Um, I think there were probably at, at the time there was some sort of appetite for it, but uh, at, well, at, at least what Dave suggested which is like never give what the audience uh, want just because they never know what they actually need um not never but don't necessarily give them yeah to, don't necessarily give it because they want it but watching i think what the the biggest mistake is and to, to speak to dave's broader point was uh they made john connor the central character and it would have been better suited if he just like introduced a different set of characters and made it their story and john connor was is kind of like almost in the background, so it's like it, it's just you know John Connor is like the 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 leader or they come almost kind of like the the myth the legend, and it's and he kind of still remains that because it's the films the films not about him, it's about someone else, and you can you you basically have like a new film or trilogy which you can sort of hang that round of rather than actually. <coughs> It could be separate from Terminator, but but you know what I mean. But still, kind of like taking that concept and having like sort of have this little world that is introduced. So I think there was there was something you could have done that could have could have had something decent from it. But the problem is you have John Connor as a as a, lead, a main character. You got Marcus as a, as a lead character, and you have all you got. You got this big massive cast. And what struck me more than anything was just a lack of character in anyone. Like, apart from broad pictures of like who who this person is, like John Connor, he's he's the leader of the resistance. Well, he's not really a leader because he's 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 taking orders from Michael Allen's side. But anyway, um, you know, but he's he's leader of resistance and he doesn't just terminators. That's basically his whole character. Um. And 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 that's it. You know, it's just like set piece, set piece kind of. You know, I mean, I'm quite keen on my action, but I did find just not giving a shit. 
it's 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 just quite bland and and and, and what really what really sort of you know puts the nail in the coffin is just I couldn't give a shit about anyone, you know, you know the the the, the scenes where it's just meant to be emotional, meaningful, impactful, and you know just like yeah well, I can see what you're going for, but it, none of this has been earned, you know. I've, I've barely you know, barely spent any time getting to know anyone because. You know, you're just. I'm just watching an action scene after set piece, and the film just moves quickly on to the next thing, and for anything, just manages to set on anything. So yeah, no, it's that's my feeling on it. Anyway, what 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 do you think, Charlie? Um, well, going back to Dave's point, um, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, as as a fan, I did kind of always kind of wanted to see that future war thing. And, uh, I mean, ha- I kind of felt at some point there was nowhere else to go. But um, if they were going to continue this series. But I think the one point where it would have essentially worked is if T2 had not been made. And if they had done it... Uh, character and had very sparing John Connor um, just because the world as seen in the first film uh, to me was very very evocative and kind of there's there was there was potential in there for me for uh, for something for something bigger but um, when because they went with T2 and and did all that kind of thing um, then for men it's irrelevant and while I kind of think that at least it's a more interesting idea than going back to the well and trying to do another spin on um, the the first two films, um, it's not done well at all here. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my opening thoughts would would just simply be. I don't know what we're going to get with Genesis yet. Now, obviously, I've seen Genesis, but I saw it theatrically, and that was it. I was never going to buy a copy or anything. It was such a terrible experience. So I've not seen it in four years. I need to watch it again. I think it will prove as dumb, and I think it will prove as almost laugh-out-loud worthy when we come to bits of it. But I'd be hard-pushed to think it's going to be more boring than this. Chris Off-Air gave the example of Die Another Day, and he's probably right. In the, Objectively, Die Another Day might be the worst Bond film. You can debate that, but it probably is. It's certainly the most outlandish. I mean, people talk about Moonraker, but most of Moonraker is actually reasonably straight. I mean, there's, there's silly sight gags and there's the pigeon and all the rest of it. But most of Moonraker plays like any other Roger Moore Bond film. It just does. Not maybe the first couple because his first two were a bit straighter. But it's not wildly out of kilter with The Spy Who Loved Me. It just isn't. You can argue over which is better and all the rest of it, and I, I understand the case, and I think I would rank them quote-unquote quote, the right way round. But I've always thought Moonraker was actually a more cohesive film, actually, in that the film always knows what it wants to be, whereas The Spy Who Loved Me like, flip-flops between serious and really silly, like to the point that it's jarring. Um... So if you talk about outlandish Bond films, Die Another Day is it. It's the one where you look at it and just go, it's like a great big camp cartoon. And 
Um, you can argue about, you know, Spectre, Quantum of Solace, all the other like weaker Bond films we've had over the years. The World is Not Enough, which I quite like, but like most people don't. Um, but it's not boring. And I think that's the difference. I think when I look at like bad Bond films, Diana the Day is probably the worst, but it's actually like more watchable than some of the others. This is more like um, The Man with the Golden Gun or Diamonds Are Forever or something, where it's actually quite a dour, miserable experience. I was I was shocked today because I've, I've not seen it in probably 10 years. I, I don't ever remember buying a copy of it. So I would have seen it theatrically and that's it. And I remember there's one bit in the film that I find ludicrously stupid, which coming into this series, I thought I must have that wrong. I think I referenced it last week or in T2. I can't remember. But I referenced, depending on what Skynet knows, this film is either perfectly fine or really stupid. Turns out it is really stupid. Um, And we'll come to that in a minute. So it's really, really stupid and dumb. If you just skip over that and watch it scene to scene, the action's boring, the characters are boring, the dialogue is boring and dour. There's there's no one to root for, and for reasons of of writing that we'll get to in a minute, and and changes as the film, we don't even know whose perspective this film is from. It's meant to be Marcus's story, but for most of it, it really isn't. And Marcus is as bland as you'd expect from that leading man, anyway. So. It, it's an hour. Funnily enough, when normally when you watch a film that's a bit boring, it drags. Um, this kind of didn't. It was only a, it's an hour and fifty seven with credits, so I was probably switching it off four or five minutes before that. So it's it, it solidly feature length, and it's longer than the Terminator. Um, it, it actually flew by, but not because I was thrilled, just because I don't actually think there's anything here. I think they haven't gone beyond. Let's go to the future and meet. John Connor and let's get a big star to do it um, the original concept wasn't that but the original concept was written in two thousand in the early 2000s along with T, T3 so originally John Connor was meant to be well, we'll come back on what the film was meant to be in a minute but um, after we finished opening thoughts but I think that's just it I, I haven't been as bored by a film a big budget a list film for a very long time now you can look at robocop 3 but robocop 3 was barely escaping director video i mean robocop 3 was delayed it lost its leading man everything else and it's cheap and it looks cheap this is a 200 million dollar film this this is like a 200 million dollar film with a man coming right off the dark night a man whose like star was absolutely in the ascendancy um, Bryce Dallas Howard was a fairly big name around this time. I mean, she is again now because of the Jurassic World series, but about four or five years before she did the Shyamalan film, The Village, um, she came off Spider-Man 3, which was awful, but again, she was hired because she was a name. Uh, Sam Worthington, this is the year of Avatar. It's earlier in the same year. We hadn't seen Avatar yet, but this is a guy recommended by James Cameron because some is James Cameron sees something in him none of the rest of us see. You've got solid character actors like Michael Ironside and stuff like that. This film should have been an absolute fucking slam dunk. Even people like Common have made good good appearances and stuff. 
um, this is one of the stronger casts ever put together for a Terminator film. If you take Arnold Schwarzenegger out of the equation, because Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of the biggest stars Hollywood's ever had, and they've produced something that is an absolute fucking slog. And in the detail, when we get into it, it's really fucking stupid as well. And we'll get to it. Becca? That's my review. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs> No, I, there's there's so much about this film that I I want to like. Um, probably with like the third Terminator film, I dropped that at the cinema. I think this is this is you know my drop off point. Um, and I think I you know joined it again when they reissued one and two recently this year. Um, and obviously Dark Fate somehow coming soon. Um, yeah, reminder in, we've recorded in the past Dark future Fate. never prints. Yeah, we've recorded Dark Fate. <laughs> Um, but there's, I mean, there's so many good things. I mean, you've got Christian Bale, Anton Milchan, who I really very and just gutted that he, you know, left us so early. Um, Some of them is okay. He's quite solid, I think. Perhaps didn't bring his A game here, but you can't really fault him, I suppose, to a certain extent. Um, random Helena Bonacarta cameo, but it's always fantastic to see her. Just such a interesting performance, whatever she's in. Um, but she also suffered a, a, a terrible accident uh, with her family um, during the making of this film, which is very sad. Um, yeah, great character actors like Ironside as well. Amazing score by Danny Elfman. It's really nice to hear that um, the Terminator percussion and also you know sort of strains of, of the main theme as well, which I I probably like didn't pick up on the last film, but I feel it's kind of been missing. Um, it's like, you know it's kind of like seeing a Bond film. And sorry to refer back to that, but or you know. Um, Captain America film, for example, and not hearing not hearing that theme, even phrases of it here and there, or just little aspects of it, just not referring back to that. Um, and it's just yeah, there's you know so many different elements about this film. Obviously, you've got Stan Winston effects, always amazing. Um, f- for me, they just don't come together. I mean, I said earlier, it's kind of for me, it feels like um, a war film and not a Terminator film. That's n- nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that at all. As again, this you know was meant to be part of a future war trilogy, which which never came to be. Um, but it just kind of it just needs it's missing missing something for me. It really is, um, and it just kind of falls a bit flat. It's all it's got the same sort of washed washed out kind of colour to it, which again kind of makes it feel like you know the war's been raging on for years and years. Um, I think some of the visuals are also fall flat a little bit, unfortunately. Um, although I can appreciate some of the um, in cam in camera visual effects um a lot of the probably not all of them but i think most of them or the new style terminators that we see um were created sort of like you know real life in camera for example then they're, they're not um cgi um i've got a huge a huge respect for that which is something that it just generally really interests me um i've got friends who have pursued it um in in the industry as, as their career which is just amazing um but yeah, there's just so many things that I really wanted to like, and it's got lots of lots of good elements. But for me, they just don't join up. So, yeah, that's why. I go. So sorry, everybody, <laughs> for raspberrying. The your film ears. was originally meant to be. They they scripted three and four together. So we were talking about continuities offline earlier, because I think Charlie said I, I don't even know where Judgment Day is meant to be here, and it's yeah. dropped. It's dropped in dialogue. It's in oh, actually I think it's in the text at the start of the film. Um, after the little prologue with with present then present day um, 
Marcus. This is when it gets messy. It, it was in the early 2000s, and we know Judgment Day was 2003 in T3. So I think it's in line with that. So it's a future of that. Now, in that future, instead of being 2029, it was 2032. Um, but the conception of this was John was going to be kind of the character kind of almost like a ghost in the film he was in the background you were aware of him whether you'd ever see him i don't know but you'd hear him through radios and things like that so when he's on radios talking to people that was the original conception of the character his voice would be heard and it would be about marcus and and a young carl reese and then of course there were lots of conversations about who would play what i know they had conversations with josh brolin amongst others i think that was for the marcus character um, James Cameron reckon, recommended Sam Worthington. Um, no, I'll leave that because it's self-satirising. Um, <laughs> now, <clears throat> the idea was it was going to be Marcus's... Uh, now, I'll, I'll go through it. It was going to be... Um, uh, they, they hired Christian Bale. He was talked to while he was on the set of The Dark Knight. Talked it out with the G, agreed to play it, and then rewrites followed. Now, this film's also compromised by the writer's strike of 2007. So you've also got bits that are not quite finished. That affected a few films we've covered in the past. It affected um, the first Star Trek reboot. It affected Quantum of Solace. It affected a few films from that era. Um, so it got rewritten to make John a more central character, but the film doesn't really support him being a more central character, or it doesn't if you want Marcus to be a central character. So I don't know whose film perspective this film is from most of the time. The other thing was the original ending of the film was meant to be one of these bait and switch upending expectation ideas that John was going to die and his face was going to be grafted onto Marcus's chassis because spoiler alert, Marcus is a Terminator model of types. We, that never gets fully explained properly. Um, and then he would, and then I think there were even versions where he killed everyone around him. So you've got the leader of the resistance who's now like a mole. But they they went with what they went with. Um, that raises as many problems as it, you know, solves in and of itself. And we'll talk about it. But yeah, so troubled production in that respect. The reason it's six years later than T two is the usual studio stuff. It started off as an Orion project, and then it was some, not Orion, but the forerunner of Orion. Then it went. Then it ended up being bought by. I think they were called. Was it Hemdale or something like that? It was bought by. It was bought by somebody who were now Halcyon. Halcyon. I went to say Halcyon and corrected myself to Hemdale, but you're right. It's Halcyon. Trust your um, instincts, Dave. I should have done really. Trust your gut. Um, so this this just went through a lot of different hands because of ownership, but once McGee signed on. Um, it was, you know, he was unsure about it and all the rest of it. The film just ends up coming in as a sort of bastardization of what they originally do, right the way down to its rating. Um, although, I mean, he all the way through, he was teasing an R-rated uh, Terminator film. And he was saying all the right things. I think he turned up at Comic-Con and I was sceptical because it's McGee. And I don't think I've ever fallen for director shtick since because McGee was wildly impressive in whatever presentation he gave that I saw. He just said all the right things and he sounded like he got it. And he sa it sounded like, okay, if you're going to show the future, I'm, I'm skeptical, 
but we'll see the rubber face two T800s and we'll we'll see like an R-rated version. We'll see a spiritual successor to the Terminator. Will it be as good as the Terminator? Almost certainly not, but it might feel like a sequel to that. And that's almost what Charlie's just hinted at. In a roundabout way, I'm agreeing with him. It's like, well, give us something that feels like the Terminator. Um, because this is never going to be super family-friendly in theme anyway. Kids don't want to go and see fucking Mad Max. They're not going to go and want to go and see this, really. Um, so, yeah, that's how we got to where we got. Um, and I think with that, shall we discuss this film sequentially? Yes. Why not? Let's fucking get on with it. <laughs> well, to be fair, again, like last week, it's, well, um, not... Doesn't really, you know, it's not a very long film. Um, I think I was doing a bit of research around it, and apparently the studio just went to McGee and, and said, "Just just make the movie. Don't really worry about the the length or certificate or anything like that." Um, and the one thing I would say is it's boring, but it's not indulgent. I will say. No, it's um, not. It whips along all right for a boring. It does. Film, it really it cracks along. Time, Action right? is fantastic. Yeah. Cracks along at a really I, good I pace. Wasn't... I wasn't looking at my watch. Apart from that. Phone or whatever. No, exactly. I wasn't looking at the time going, for fuck's sake, it But just nothing was really happening and it wasn't that interesting. No. Um, the, he did shoot some R-rated elements and I think I may have seen that today because I definitely saw there was a topless uh, sequence with Moon Blood. Uh, well, it's not really a sexy scene. She's just washing herself, although she's washing her breasts. Because that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I imagine. That's, a sexy scene. I, that's what I imagine women do the moment when they feel a bit, you know, filthy, not that sort of filthy, but when they feel unclean, the first thing they do is lavishly soap their breasts, right? And that's oh, it. Oh, nice to confirm or deny. Um, he actually said, um, he actually, you can tell us off here. Um, <laughs> is he, that what guys do as well? Yes, yes, we wash women's breasts too. Um, <laughs> what he said was, and I understood this seeing the scene today, because it's a moment where she's washing herself and then she's sort of cupping that area and Marcus is looking at her and she just looks a little bit kind of like coy about it. He said he was trying to evoke uh, Witness, the Harrison Ford film, where he sees Kelly McGillis topless. All right. And actually looking at it, I'm thinking, yeah, I can see what you were going for there. But actually, because it's barely an R-rated film, it almost looks like, let's just show some tits. But I honestly believe him when he says that wasn't his intention. But they've... they've um, yeah, I mean, bear in mind, we're, we're just as we will get into the scenes in a minute, but there are bits in this film that are paying fan service to things that are now in a changed timeline. So Judgment Day, originally in T1 and T2, happened in... Well, we didn't learn until T2, actually, but it's 1997. And the war that follows runs through to 2029. And when we see John Connor as an adult male at the start of the that film, he's got that sort of Y-shaped scar on his left cheek. That's in the original timeline. In T3, it didn't happen till 2003. People aren't going to be in the same places at the same time on the same schedule doing the exact same things. Yeah, he's got the. We see him get that scar. And that speaks to an essential lack of vision with this film. We'll get to it with the T-800 later. It doesn't make any sense. We'll get to it with Carl Reese. That really doesn't make any sense. No, that's a bit... So it's, hmm. it's a film that's trying to sort of, again, fan service. The longer I do this podcast, the more of a problem I've, I'm getting with it. Because back when we covered Spectre and Chris went, oh, and Skyfall and that, and Chris was going, bloody DB5. I was like, yeah, I see your point. <laughs> and over the years that I followed, it started to really bother me, this whole... Look, see, look. 
that that they do to fans it just bothers me and the thing is fans fuel it and we see it with star trek discovery i mean see your series season two of star trek discovery is a wank fest for fans of the original series Mm. um and it's not stronger for that it's more comforting for that and it's easier to watch and possibly more enjoyable but it's not better um and we'll get to a lot of that. The opening scene is uh, 2003, which speaks to it being set around the time of Judgment Day. Uh, he's a death row inmate, Marcus Wright, Sam Worthington's character. And he's being met by clearly a cancer patient, Helena Bonham Carter, uh, of Cyberdyne, to be asked if he will sign his body over for medical research before he's executed. And he does, but he demands a kiss. Is this this might be the least erotic kiss I've ever seen, and the mm, least and the least, the least appropriate as well. Well, I mean, to be fair, you know he's in prison, probably hasn't got any money. You know what is he going to pay with? Give us a kiss, why not? Would he have done this if she'd had no, a neurone <laughs> disease or something? Mm, anyway, let's not go down that route. Um, I don't like it. Pay you in, I don't know in sweets or something or. The gross thing is, is, is the kind of her body language in the film is, is kind of accepting of it. She likes. Yeah, I noticed it. that as well, Charlie. Yeah. It's even when he says, "So that's what death tastes like." Yeah. She sort of kind of she and, looks in such a way you just think, "Oh." And there's that really awful thing, that he, line that he says before when he says, "I'm not the only one with a death sentence." Yeah. Yeah, obviously yeah. she's. It's just like, why don't you just put a big sign on the screen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am going to. Yeah, I know. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, and by the way, the, yeah, there, there are points where the script does fall flat, and that's one of them. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry, Sorry talk all over you there, Dave. Sorry about that. That's my fault. I think I talked over you. Go ahead. So I just think like. I'm just very angry. This 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 chapter. I'm afraid. The kiss was weird. The kiss was weird. Um. It's meant to play like a dying man's last wish, but it, it just plays like these two have no chemistry. She doesn't look well. She's dying. Give us a snog. What? Do you want to have a little play on her tits as well? Randomly, it takes me sheet. It's like, what, what, what is she even doing here? But he signs. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Whatever she does, first it's brilliant. Of, first bit of fan service. Nice big Cyberdyne sign on the paperwork. Oh. Um, and that's it. We go straight to the future. And then, they, well, they rip, they rip off the original Terminators opening sequence as well. Well, well, yeah, it's kind of. The, well, we start that. with the text. Yeah, the text is uh, Skynet became self-aware and just describes what happened in T two. Yeah, but, but I mean the credits. I mean, yes, it does. Because because it's like normal credits, well, computer modern computery credits. Yeah. Um, and then in the and over kind of big text going, and then at the end goes. Whoosh, but this is what, what happens when you hire McGee or Len Wiseman or people like that. They've got no vision. If and you want no... shit vision, hire Michael Bay. But if you want no vision, hire this guy. And there's no colon. No... no, it's just like Terminator Salvation. There's no colon. There's no Yeah, I edited our show notes to put one in and all the rest of it. Chris <laughs> But never mind. Like Terminator Salvation. Have... So does that mean Salvation of the Terminators or Salvation of, well, I guess of it's Connor? Marcus. Or... Or Marcus, even it's meant to be of Marcus, but yeah. again, got it, got it. Marcus that's, salvation, probably, but no. that's probably a stronger concept in original yeah. story outlines because it's not yeah. in this film. I kind of get the impression that this film, mm. obviously, oh. you know, it's not the, the the ending 
kind of had to be hugely rewritten. So we cut to 2018, which is fine in and of itself, but the very... We're in 2019. The very <laughs> opening sequence is an attack on Skynet by Christian Bale and others. Now, during this, we can talk about the sequence as a whole, but just conceptually, it's where they find plans for the T-800. And all I can think is Michael Bean saying to her in the first film, these are new. Bad breath, sweat, blood. They're new. They were new in 2029. And this is a timeline that's at least three years further on because we think the end of the war might have been 2032 in the T3 timeline. So it's either 10 years, uh, sorry, 11 years or 14 years before this model should turn up. Again, utter fan service. Yeah, you just kind of see it and think, oh, Arnie's going to make an appearance again, is he? Yeah, more or less. Mm -hmm. More or less. I mean, he didn't. He was governor at this time. It's a a guy, I I might be stepping on a fun fact, but yeah, the the body double, I know the name of the guy who was his body double. Um, No, um, I don't have that as a fun fact, but we see him again in the next film. Roland Kickinger. Yeah. No, it's it's onto the other guy, Brent, whatever. Oh, that guy, yeah. But this Rodan Kick again. Yeah, we've seen so. him before. And what they basically said was, McGee went to the, the, the effects team and said, this is what I want. And he said this in interviews. As I say, McGee's a perfectly likable man. And he hmm. said in interviews, he, he said, I said to them, this is what I want. And he said, if we can't do it, we can't do it. And if they can't have done it, his face would have got destroyed before you had a proper look at him, which it almost sort of does anyway. Yeah. Um, but you got a proper look at Arnie's visage later in the film. It's, but, it's a good way to do it, though, considering he was too busy being the governor. And I think. He can't look like 1984 Arnie anyway at this point. Mm, this is it. But I think that they, they've done it in a really sensitive way. I mean, to, to be now, fair. All I want to say about this sequence is isn't it fucking boring? Yes. <laughs> That's the, the overarching theme, or not theme, the overarching kind of feeling I kind of get from this film is it's a bit dull. But I saw it this afternoon, or, I can't remember anything about it. Or, I remember, no, all the are good, but they don't mesh together. I remember him fighting a T-600 chassis, if you like, not with the rubber skin, although we sort of see the rubber skin later, although it looks more like the Invisible Man or something. Yeah, it's um, a little bit like that, it looks very um, strange. I remember him fighting that, and I remember him lighting the flare. And that's about all I remember. He gets a bit of shit talking from Michael Ironside afterwards. That's about it. I don't really remember much about it. One thing I noticed that all the all the kind of the laser pulse rifles are kind of like non-existent in in this future. All the stuff they referenced, yeah. 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 Well, then the uh, the hunter killers look more um, advanced. Yeah. Bear in mind, this is eleven years before Michael Bean as well. Yeah. So oh, 11 or 14, depending on timeline. So I'm, I'm all right with all of that. First thing I notice when we get into daylight is um, the desaturation. This is, an, this is an early 2000s film, too late. Just in the same way that like Underworld is a 1990 film, 1999 film made in 2003 because it's being copied because the director has no vision and it takes three or four years to put a film together. This is McGee copying an early 2000s film when it had kind of gone out of vogue. So this is desaturated to fuck this film. And it doesn't look good for good for that either. Um, uh, John goes on to a nuclear submarine to talk to Michael Ironside, General Ashdown. This conversation's about shutting down Skynet machines. Why does he hold a gun to his head? 
uh, put him in his place is the basic idea. Just like, just, well, you might be some fucking big cheese, but I can change the future in a moment. Well, that's not leadership, is it? No, it just seems, yeah, nonsensical. But again, going back to the first film, Michael Bean talked about the people of his time as being very tough. You, you, you think of it as an era without much emotion, without much warmth. But this this is an exaggerated extrapolation of it. Yeah. Um, we are going to struggle with the detail of the film because not an awful lot happens. John learns he's second on this kill list behind a guy called Kyle Reese. I wonder who that could be. Well, the resist- resistance people don't know. John knows, though, obviously. Of course. What concerns me as the film goes on is whether Skynet knows, but we'll come on to that. Yeah, that's a really big issue. It's a massive issue. It's film breaking. I mean, it is just like something. We've all done it. You sit and watch a film and you go, Did none of the people working on this notice that? <laughs> none of them. It's one of those ones you kind of, it's, you have to be an outsider and take a step back and then re- realize, Oh, hold on a minute. I mean, even some of the creators. Major plot stuff, point. Even some of the effects team read parts of scripts and stuff like that. This is Stan Winston's last film. Did, did he? Was he aware what he's making effects for? Did he not at any point go, that doesn't make any sense? Um, <laughs> he probably uh, signed to NDC and thought, oh, I can't say anything. Well, he can't say anything to the press, but he can say something. Well, no, but he said sure. something to McGee. Excuse I mean, me, do you know I, this I, is incorrect? I, I'm not saying actors are geniuses, but like all through his career, Christian Bale's made good choices and sure. done interesting projects. Is he not smart enough to read a script and go, that doesn't make any sense? Hold on a minute. <laughs> It's just madness. Well, we'll address it. We'll, we'll address it now. Later in the film, Skynet take John Connor like hostage. Well, first off, why hostage? Just fucking kill him. But secondly, they're doing it to draw in John Connor. But they know who Carl Reese is, and this was the bit I was unsure about. I thought if they don't know who Carl Reese is, that's fine. They're just trying to draw John in. Why they think that guy will is a different issue. But they've effectively used their number one target to draw in their number two target. That doesn't make any fucking sense. If you kill Kyle and he's... Right, first off, if you kill Kyle and he's your number one target, you're saying he's the biggest factor in stopping our defeat, right? But you're years away from travelling through time anyway, so you don't know... Like, that's not quite relevant immediately. If you kill John, you stop the war now because... John is the only thing that can win the war, which is flawed logic in itself. But secondly, you stop that. Lo- if you kill Kyle, you stop that loop of history where you never come to be, or you at least get beaten by John. The idea of using your number one target to draw in your number two target is absolutely crazy. And and if they'd made it vaguer, I'd be all right. But they didn't. It's literally he's number one on their list. They know who he is, and he's more important to them than John Connor. Otherwise, John Connor would be number one. Does uh, is that just me? No, it, it kind of it kind of opens up as well. Um, a whole thing about well, how much do they know? And if they, if they know so much, then why can't they go through all these precautions to make sure that he's never sent back in the first place? Not just by killing him, but well, the thing about the time travel and and exactly what detail detail files they have as as he said in his in arnie said in his head in the in uh t2 yeah but it's the, so that just kind of holds a huge kind of thing over things saying if they know all this stuff then why are they 
Yeah. So the, the Skynet are basically planning an attack. He learns he's second on the list. He learns Kyle's number one on the list. We learn the Resistance don't know who he is. At this point, Skynet must know who he is, because why would he be number one? He's just some kid. He's like a 17-year-old or whatever. But that does get spelled out later. We then meet um, a wasted Common. I'm not saying Common's the greatest actor in the world, but he's at least a name, and he's oddly used in this film. Mm. Yeah, um, it's very underused. And we see his wife. Bryce I mean, what's Dallas. his role? I'm just going to act gruffed and gruffed. I don't know. He's just there, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he's supposed to be we, second in command. Yeah, we meet. Yeah, I didn't really get that impression, unfortunately. We, we meet a recast, Kate Bruce. So the original casting idea was to keep going with the T3 cast, but with the long gap, they changed their mind and wanted a bigger star. And I understand that. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard is visibly pregnant at this point, and she was pregnant in real life. You can see it in her face and stuff. Um, glowing. She is a doctor at this point. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard said herself that basically it's not a redux of it's not a redo of T three. She was a vet, but she's kind of continued to like she's basically become effectively a de facto doctor in the war. Um, and yeah, they're just sending out radio broadcasts to resistance around the place. Um, and I think we see Marcus arrive. Yeah, he kind of like, um, well, he, we kind of like see him as like John Connor's like doing the search and finding like all the people. Yeah, it's um, it's an awful, awful reintroduction as well. What with he, him screaming? Yeah, he kind of looks like Arnie at the end of Predator. Yes, he does. And and he just goes and he just really wouldn't. By that, by that we mean absolutely caked in mud. Basically, he's had a mud bath. <laughs> Which yes. Arnie does in the Terminator to make make him not trackable. Yeah, and and uh, and those uh, just the most wooden screams. Sam, I, does anyone here get the appeal of Sam Worthington? I'm happy. Right before you answer that, I'm kind of happy with him in Avatar, only in as much as he's a dumb soldiery type. And he's meant to be watching the world anyway, because he's gone to like a planet he doesn't know. Um, so it is that Martin Sheen apocalypse now idea. Let's just have a guy who can stare out and watch the world. I don't think he's the best choice, but like he kind of suits that. But for a period of time, Sam Worthington was big news, wasn't he? Well, he yeah. was putting a load of stuff really for for a brief yeah, amount of time. Of, yeah. What's that one where he was on like a building ledge? Man on a ledge. Man on a ledge. That's literally what it was called. Yeah. Literally, man on a ledge. Fucking hell. That's inventive. It's gripping. Is it good? Which is what he did. I don't dislike the but guy. It's, it's quite, yeah, quite good film. I don't dislike the guy, and I've seen worse actors. He just plays a bit blank. He's in, um, he was in that uh, Everest film. Oh, I didn't think I saw that one. Oh, Everest. Yes. What about that film where he's on a ledge? Oh, man on a ledge. What about the Everest movie? Everest, oh yeah. He was in Hacksaw Ridge, but I don't remember him in it as much as I liked Hacksaw Ridge. He was, um, he was was one of the the guys who gave him shit, then they end up like, uh, I think he he was the guy at the bottom. He was like... Officer behind a... All right. Yeah, no, no, I got it. I think, I don't think he's as bad as that, but again, he's one of these like young actors, like a a giant Courtney type who's just start their career with just given kind of shit and bad direction. Well, it's a bit like Shia LaBeouf was massive for a couple of years, and you just look at it and go, where did anyone get get that from? I've seen worse actors. I don't hate him. But he's very bland. I I think... Yeah, I'm seeing it. Yeah, 
Godalming. Let's go. Godalming, I don't know how you pronounce that. Godalming. Godalful. That's the reason. Godalful. Oh, no, I'm sure it's lovely. No, it's me. I was referring to him, not the, uh, <laughs> not the place. place. I'm, I'm sure the place is lovely. But like Mar- Wrath, oh, of the Ti- as well. Wrath, you know, Wrath of the Titans and Clash of the Titans. Oh, God. You know, and it was like he was big news, and so was the three D bump after Avatar. So you just got this bland guy in this terrible retro fit three D. Yeah, he's got some good things on his um, oh, his IMDb.com page. Um, I love how he's, he's basically been locked into all the Avatar sequels. He actually <laughs> strikes me as someone who'll get better as he gets older. Yeah. He auditioned for Casino Royale. Or... He was the, he was in the final five. The final five was, let me try and remember that. The final five was Daniel Craig, obviously, uh, Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill, him, yeah, the luckiest man in Hollywood. Him, Goran Viznich, and the guy from uh, the Hawaii Five-O remake. Oh, that guy. That was the final five. That, that was the ones that had to go and do a full day of filming and all that stuff. Um, and, then the fi- from the, ER. and then the final two were Cavill and Craig. Um, Eon wanted Craig and got him. Um, the director Martin Campbell wanted Cavill, but um, I think that's why he was dubbed Unluckiest Man in Hollywood because he missed out on all these amazing roles. But then until he got Superman, well, yeah, until he became Superman. So Superman, really... and the mustache. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, now he's certainly the luckiest man in Hollywood for sure. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't get it with them. Um, Sam Worthington, but he's someone as he gets a bit. I think a bit like a Kevin Costner. When Kevin Costner was at his absolute peak, I used to watch him and go, "But you're really fucking bland." And now, when he turns up in stuff, I'm really pleased to see him. He's just got a bit of age and gravitas about him now. He's not. He's not fundamentally a different actor. He's exactly the same, but he's got. I don't know. Age suits him. I mean, when they said whatever you think of Man of Steel, when they said he's going to play Jonathan Kent, I thought fucking perfect. Yeah. Um, on paper anyway so like, I quite like him now and I think Sam Worthington might be the same he might be a lot more interesting when he's in his mid 50s yeah it's kind of like a gruff everyday man kind of yeah yeah he might be alright um, but yeah so we see him I think he immediately has to fight, fight a T800 a, a T600 yeah it's a T600 they're a bit bulkier yeah um, and he's rescued by Kyle now, Anton Yelchin passed away just after Star Trek Beyond, didn't he? Yes. Just after mm-hmm. filming it. Turned out he had a bad lung disease as well, didn't he? He had cystic fibrosis, they said, which no one knew. Yeah, he wasn't, no, he wasn't yeah, very he, he, well, he, unfortunately. Was, he was struggling on set and stuff like that, but nobody knew why. No. Um, Anton Yelchin is fucking freaky when he opens his mouth. It sounds like Michael Bean. I think yeah, he did for this role. He kind of went back and sort of really studied his kind of his sort of mannerisms and, and modes of speech, and you know he did quite a lot of research to try and to try and not not imitate, but so he could give like his own his own version of of, of that character. Um, but yeah, he kind of went back and, and really kind of studied, mm. so you know how he sort of how he walks, how he talks, things like that, mm. um, to try and put as much of that into his performance. And I would agree, David is mind blowing. I was a bit stunned. <clears throat> But in a good way, though, I think. In a, in a good way, because when he died, people were naming films he, d- he did. And actually, he, he didn't have any massive leading roles or anything that people could point to. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first thing that came to mind was this, which is a shame because it's a bad film. But, like, what a fucking... Just no, his, his performance is really performance. good. Really good performance. Uh, the same with Christian Bale as well. I mean, he's kind of... 
but again, you know, he's still putting in like a really solid performance. Also, I can recommend. Um, is this from? It's both of them. It, yeah, literally. <laughs> is this meant to be uh, the the adventures of young Carl Reese? Is this meant to be John Connor rising to power? Is this meant to be Marcus uh, coming? You know, learning about the world that he doesn't know. Script doesn't know who it wants to focus on, does it? Well, it's a bit here, or there, and everywhere. Well, basically, the script's just been passed around, like sort of like, and and taking ideas and just kind of. It's, it, the reason why it's as bland as it is because it's it, it's got no ideas it's of its own. On. No, it's yeah. a bit of a patchwork. Yeah, so yeah, it's a bit of this, bit of that, and you've got no central other. premise. Bit of the uh, other would have would have perked it up a bit. Yeah, the other could have improved it. And he's only around with What's the fucking point of that? <laughs> Sorry. What's the point of Star? What's the point of the Star character? Yeah, I thought that. I, I, she's I, lovely, but a bit extraneous. But no, she's a very, very bright actress. Uh, although probably because she's she, called Star, it just made me think of V. I thought of the Star Child the, from V. The problem oh. with that... Uh, uh, here's the reason why. She was probably just used as a prop. So, like, you know, Carl's got someone to look after. Or, or like, interact with when they're, they're separated. Half baked as fuck though, isn't and that, it? Yeah, and, and that's just 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 it. You know, it, 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 it there's no real purpose. It's just like, oh well, I'll Carl uh, has to have someone when when he's away from um, Sam Worthington. So um, let's give it that. And plus, also adds a little bit of like of heightened danger because they've got someone to <coughs> kind of look after. But yeah, I, I thought lazy, that really tight. Lazy, I thought, laziest narrative device in the fucking world. Though throw a yeah. throw a child in. Yeah, and if they're mute, they're compromised. They they don't have a voice, so you have to be their voice. And yeah, what a load of bollocks. <laughs> Nowhere near as good as our sitcom of the week, <laughs> which this week is Rising Damp. 1974 to 1978's Rising Damp, starring Leonard Rossiter, Richard Beckinsale, father of the one that was in Underworld, which we've already talked about, Don Warrington, <laughs> and Francis Delatour. Don Warrington was in Red Dwarf, and Francis Delatour was in Harry Potter. Yeah, Don Warrington was in the episode, uh, what's the episode he was in? Hollership. Thanks to enlightenment. Quickly, please. Yeah, he was Yeah, he was in the Hollership episode. So, yeah. <laughs> Why don't I um, hear that one line? Enlightenment quickly, please. Yes. Quickly, please. Yeah, well, he had such a great voice. Um, Fabulous. Don Warrington. And he had a real... They, they absolutely cast it correctly, because in um, Rising Damp, it's obviously set in the 70s, which is a less enlightened time anyway. But even allowing for that, you had Rigsby, who was a bit of a sort of old colonialist anyway. And so they put, like, a very, very dignified black man in that film. And, and nobody plays, like, dignified better in that era than Don Warrington. Absolutely perfect casting. It was really good. What well, you've seen, Rising Dub? I've actually seen that one, even though it's well before my time. It's brilliant. It's really good, which is rare for an ITV sitcom because they're shit. But like, um, I also it was a bit weird seeing. Cause I, I kind of knew it more as like a comedy actor, and then seeing him serious kind of roles like 2001, for example, I was like, oh, obviously he's yeah. very versatile, and also from the Chinzano adverts. The Chinzano adverts with James Collins <laughs> were brilliant. He filmed about ten of them. They're probably all on YouTube. Era. Look up Leonard Rossiter or Joan Collins. It'd be easier typing wise and names. Joan Collins, Chinzano. Well, and, be, awesome. and I thought, oh, he's yeah. a serious actor as well. Died really young. He died. Uh, he was about fifty-four, and he had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Oh God. 
he died like backstage waiting to go on like at a theater or something what was the other sitcom he's really known for there's a couple with him oh um reginald perrin reginald i love reginald perrin because it's really um reginald perrin is uh like having a midlife crisis and like you you see inside his head so he's look you know someone mentions his mother-in-law and he just pictures like a fucking like you know what they called him what animal did he used to picture when his mother-in-law was mentioned hippopotamus um and stuff like that and he used to have really (coughs) weird flights of fancies and and he set up a business to make complete tat that was like completely useless deliberately and stuff like that it was really great but yeah rise and damp's really good recommend it to anyone and it's way more entertaining than Terminator Salvation. <laughs> Infinitely um, more entertaining. H- h- hence our um, diversion onto it was longer than usual. <laughs> um, they hear radio broadcasts from John and head yeah. towards... Um, it's the one shot of the film I think is quite impressive. They head towards um, LA. And there is a shot where he's up sort of in the Griffin Observatory area and sees a shot of LA destroyed. And that's a nice shot. That's a really, really nice shot of like modern LA as we know it, but just decimated. Buildings we recognise, mm. but they're only half there and things like that. I do like that. I can't even remember it. <laughs> yeah, it sums us all up. <laughs> you might well have checked out by then. Yeah. Um... It's just all busy work because they, they do meet like a resistance group. Yeah. And that lasts about two fucking minutes. So and, are they resistant boots, or are they just like a bunch of just like kind of hiding away? No, because there's a symbol there. There's a resistance symbol. All right. But the the you know as soon as they're introduced and calmed down and stuff, and it's got the one comedic line in it where Carl repeats something to them that Marcus has just said to him, but yeah. that's <laughs> and there's a funny look. Oh um, no! Carl gives him the um, "Come with me if you want to live" when they when he meet first. Season yeah. Terminator. Yeah. And then there's a bit of a chase. And again, this is all like, so what? Transformers. Yeah. Transformers. Yeah. And then he meets, uh, and then he meets Blair, Moon Bloodgood, which is meant to be the love interest, but no one's thought this through properly. And again, the one. No, she's where, not really much of a love interest. And the one scene where he's like, "Would you look at those?" has been cut. So, <laughs> I don't know. I think this film would. Um, profit from a remake. <laughs> it just needs to be done. Oh, no, not obviously remake. But it just After kind all of... this busy work, he's, he's wounded by a landmine. Well, I mean, it, it's his thing, right? You sort of you set up like you know uh, him going on with with Carl. Then they get separated instantly, sort of right with um, with Moongood, and then and then yeah, you got the landmine. So you got from like me at one character uh, separate. Next character, that that ends. So it's like there's no actual progressive journey or anything. There's no all. journey. And, and when we did meet one group that they sort of would buddy up with, yeah. they were like captured and attacked immediately. It, it's just like stuff happens, stuff happens, right. stuff happens. And it's just there's no actual real character work, yeah. no, no so connections now, made. In it, When he's injured, he's now like taken in by John and John's wife. And John's wife's now a doctor. Mm-hmm. And we find out he's got an endoskeleton. That was in all the trailers where he says, you think you're human. 
He says, I am human. Then he takes off like the head restraint so he can look down and he's like all decimated and he screams. See, but but the film plays that as if like we're not meant to know this. It's just meant to be like a big mid mid movie surprise. Yeah. You signed to you signed to for Cyberdyne to piss around with you at the start of the film. Yeah, and you expect this. <laughs> and you're not older. Twenty five years, no, fifteen years later. So, yeah, something's happened, doesn't it? <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> it's a surprise uh, to him. I don't know how. It's a but... surprise to him, to be fair. Yeah, so we know, yeah, Kyle's been captured. Kyle's been captured by mm. Sky. Because they're and collecting then... people, are they, for, for some reason? Um... Yeah. And you breed of Terminator. So, Marcus, we get a bit where they want to destroy Marcus, but Marcus saves John's life and they form an alliance. And the whole point now is they're going to go and break into Skynet to rescue Kyle. Yeah, on a separate note, John doesn't have too much luck whenever he flies a helicopter, does he? Not no, really, no, that's true. <laughs> Every time no. he gets in one, it's like always... It's a good spot, Chris. That's why you should never crash Christian Bale as James Bond. He'd have fucking crashed straight into that Day of the Dead festival, wouldn't he, at the start of <laughs> After the fight with the 60-year-old, he would have crashed straight into the... It would have been... Credits. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but at least it would have come up with a quippy line like "heads up." Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would have had a nice quip at the end, a pithy line. I feel it just that was a that was a choppy landing. Yeah, maybe you should write the next film. <laughs> no, no, I shouldn't. Uh, I so yeah. Ashdown, the Michael Ironside character, wants to launch this like massive attack, and he's saying, "No, we've got to get the people out of there because obviously he knows the importance of Kyle." We're near the end of the film by this point, point folks. This is just there's nothing like, in there's this no film at all. Um, and the whole point is, Skynet, Marcus is going to go in and like disable everything so they can go in and rescue everyone. Yeah. Um. But... And the thing is, I don't know if I've got anything to say about any of the action that follows except the T-800 bit. Because I don't remember any of the rest of it. Except we see, all I can hear is typing. Oh, that's not me, sorry. Sorry. Not me that time. I thought it was on mute, sorry. That's alright, no, that's why I'm saying, because you wouldn't have done it deliberately. Yeah. Um, I do it myself sometimes. Particularly, particularly, you can hear it on episodes of Smorgasbord where I'm cheating. Well, he reads out a headline and then you hear, and then you hear. Quick, Google the t- Google the headline. You suddenly hear the sound go off where I realise I'm not muted. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I cheated. Look okay. up on your phone. Means I'm gonna have to leave all that in the show now. I admit to my crimes. Dun dun dun! Shock part, part of the twelve steps. <laughs> it's fine. I'm sure you'll be alright. That I'm not doing. Um, your, your reputation won't be in tatters. I guess all I really want to say is about this T-800 thing. Now, I don't know if I said this earlier. I might have done because we were talking off air before we came on. The T-800 is fan service in every single way. But it annoys me when it's film-breaking logic because we've already got number two target trying to get be lured in by number one target. But now we've got a model Carl uh, Reese described in the original film as new in the late 2020s. And here we are in 2018 and there's dozens of them ready to come off the line. Even in a changed timeline, that doesn't make sense. If anything, the timeline yeah. should be later. Yeah. 
but we see basically a young Arnie. In terms of a digital recreation, it's the, it, the body looks like him. It is 1984 Arnold, whereas the one in the new film is um, in Dark Fate is copying 1991 Arnold, who was a bit smaller. Um, the face looks all right. It doesn't look real, um, but it's 2009. It's okay. Yeah, it looks, looks, looks kind of similar. But also, like, the, you know, the old issue of um, of uh, Marcus being, like, you know, doing his actual job without him realising it, I was like, how, how does this, how does this work? Forensically, was he was he was he conscious? Was he not conscious? Like, you know, it 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 doesn't really make much. It seems like a too much of an elaborate plot to get to where we are. Well, what was Cyberdyne trying to do with him? I mean, he, he yeah. was on death row. We see him like get sort of strapped to the table where he's going to be lethal injection and whatever. Mm. Any last words? Of course not. It's Sam Worthington. But again, that's the right that's the right thing. It's a bit like Daniel Craig gets less qu- less less dialogue than most of the other Bonds. It's a bit like go and watch Bullet. Steve McQueen doesn't get an awful lot of dialogue in that film. It makes sense for that type of actor. Have them say a bit less, not because they're bad, but because it suits that type of actor. It suits that type of character. But then what happened? Nothing is ever explained here. He he walks out naked fifteen years later. Why naked? Has he been has he been in a morgue? Has he just been reactivated? He hasn't gone through time. I don't think they put him forward. What? None of it actually has been explained. None of it makes any sense. And because the film doesn't know who to focus on, we don't know whose backstory is going to be explained. And and the, the thing is, as well, is, is the writers behind this thing. I mean, um, was it Brancato and uh, the other guy, Ferris, yeah. are the credited writers, but Paul Haggis wrote some of it. Jonathan Nolan was writing some of it. McGee describes it as um, he said Jonathan Nolan is actually probably most responsible. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know about Paul Haggis, but I knew the Jonah Nolan reference. Yeah, so considering Nolan is the one everyone kind of um, jizzes over because of the because of his brother Christopher and his work on Dark Knight mm. and stuff like that, it's kind of. Did he write on Inception? I think Christopher might have written that himself, actually. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah, Christopher wrote Inception. Jonah's not his brother, but he obviously rides his brother's coattails and gets a lot of credit out of it. He did did Westworld, didn't he? Always. Which I found virtually unfucking watchable. Uh, Oh, I loved it. Well, the the first series. I didn't see much of the second series, unfortunately. I was was trying to stay awake. It was a fucking nightmare. It did. It took a while to get going. To be honest, but um, Jeffrey Wright is. Incredible. Oh, I love Jeffrey Wright anyway. I'm so happy he's going to be Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, I can't wait. That's going to be Did immense. you guys know that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. And I heard a rumour today. Funnily enough, I was watching the Grand Prix earlier because today's the day Lewis Hamilton won his sixth world title. Oh, congratulations. Um, and his father, his father was in and amongst the mechanics and the crowd and everything else. Yeah. And with him, as a special guest, was Matthew McConaughey. Oh, wow. Who I, who I read today is being courted for Two-Face. Right, I didn't know about that. That's interesting. Mm, Hasn't been been confirmed yet, but I can see it. Will you be taking Mm. a a page out of Tommy Lee Jones' portrayal of the character? Well, hopefully not. Hopefully not. With the the accent, maybe. I would would be concerned about the number of villains. Did I not know it was loosely an adaptation of The Long Halloween, which is just phenomenal. The Long Halloween is like the best Batman I've ever read. 
and he's got a really big part to face in the long Halloween as well. He does. He does. I don't think it's going to be literal, but it's going to be. Well, yeah. The only problem with it is the long Halloween's best suited to be in like a twelve-part TV show. And it's and and it's sequel as well, Dark Victory. Dark Victory introduces Robin, and at the same time, there's a parallel story for Catwoman in Rome. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I don't know if it's called When in Rome. It's cat. There's a Catwoman book at the same time. It's Jeff Loeb. It's Jeff. I can't remember who the artist is. It's Uh, Tim Sale. That is the typing. I'm doing it now. Yeah, Tim Sale. I really, really love his drawing of Batman. It's slightly like it's slightly rough, deliberately, but it's nowhere near as stylized. It's nowhere near as muscular, and it's like the Batman I want to see. And every time they do like an animated Batman film, I'm disappointed it's not that. Like the long Halloween is like my Batman. That's yeah. my Batman, the long Halloween. I take it over Rush and like year one and Dark Knight Returns and everything oh, else yeah, I've yeah, ever read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Anyone listening, go by Batman, the long Halloween, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, about 10 or 11 years old now. And it's based around all the villains are in it, but it's got like, it's based around Julian Day, the calendar man. And the Dark Victory is not quite as good, but it's not a million miles off and it brings Robin into the story. So it's effectively like year two of Batman, Mm. something like that. If you were to read it in continuity and it isn't strictly in continuity, you could read it just after like year one or something like that. It's really, really great. But um, yeah, Jeffrey Wright has been cast as Commissioner Gordon in the new Matt Reeves film, which is going to come out in about... um, Robert Pattinson has just started training. The first photo of him training dropped on Instagram today. So he's prepping for like filming in the new year and Jeffrey Wright's going to be um, Commissioner Gordon in that. Uh, which has caused everyone on, which has caused Twitter to lose its shit because <laughs> yeah, everybody went. Wow. Well, because it did, Zoe it did with Catwoman, <clears throat> didn't they? Because Zoe Kravitz has been cast as Catwoman, and they've all lost their shit. What next? A white shaft? All right, whatever. Oh dear, that old. Well, 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 well people have got the Halle Berry one, haven't they? Well, <laughs> well, I saw someone argue, but that wasn't Selena Kyle. Selena Kyle was Latina in. Um... And, and and also oh. the uh, the the Adam West one because there was sports, yeah. Well, exactly. People Again, seem to forget about no, it. No, well, that was Selena Kyle. I've read all sorts of shit on the internet about it. It's quite funny. Yeah, that was nineteen sixty six. Yeah, so very was, progressive. That, that, that what, means, what should um, what, what should worry you is nineteen sixty six is more progressive than you are, you tossers. Well, exactly. Um, but that, that means as well there should be a uh, a um, person of colour playing. Barbara, hopefully. Well, yep. Yeah. Um, exactly. And to be honest, if it's nothing to do with it, if the race has nothing to do with the character itself, I don't care. Um, oh, no. You know, a white Martin Luther King, you've missed the fucking point, haven't you? Firstly, that's a real person. And sec- secondly, the fact he was black might have had something to do with <laughs> yes. it. Yes. Um, you know, well, what next? Tom Selleck as Black Panther with the suit coming out of his <laughs> moustache. Um, yeah, sorry, that was an idea we had during the Black Panther episode. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I, Jonathan Nolan did, did a lot of work on this, I believe, but again, I'm very reluctant to slay writers here if it has been such a hodgepodge of different scripts. That's true. Because they might have had a fantastic Marcus idea in this, but you've got a fairly blank leading man and, and his story's been trampled all over by trying to make John the centre of it. But John goes missing for large parts of the film as well and has no through line. So it's a bit shit, really. And all we've got is this attack on Skynet, which is entirely uninteresting. 
except for the fact we see like a peak era Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of although they damage his face quickly just because well we know CG costs like a million dollars a minute or something so <laughs> they've got to get that done quite quickly um, oh I found out today I don't know if you guys know well I know you guys know that that's fake that's a fake question because we talked about it offline earlier listeners but I didn't know why they had um, T800 and Model 101 um, and I only found this out today so if I'm telling listeners who absolutely know this and I, I sound stupid then sorry <laughs> um, T800 is the, the chassis so the endoskeleton is a T800 Model 101 is the ones that look like Arnie so theoretically, Cyberdyne System 101. Yeah, we could have had a, a different actor each time that was roughly the same build. So the second film could have had Dolph Lundgren in it, and he would have been like a model 104 or something like that. Um, yeah, the 101s are the ones that uh, that's basically the skin that gets put over the top is Arnold Schwarzenegger. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I read that today. That was that was how James Cameron described it. So it's not a retcon either. It, it was it was a later director, but they said James Cameron explained that to them. Um, did we want to say anything else about the rest of this fucking battle? Uh, there, there's a bit where um, Marcus is in with like a visage of Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, as, well, they, as, well, they, well, they explain everything as not Holly. Um, yeah, what do they explain? I've chewed right out during oh. this shit. Well, it's just it's just more fighty, running away, fighty. Uh, Marcus goes in to save John Connor. He he almost dies, so John Connor like revives him, and then gets fatally wounded himself. I mean, I mean, this certain Terminator is fucking just seems to sort of just doesn't seem to die. It's like <laughs> should have said that one in the original film, quite frankly. But I mean, it survives like getting molten. He stabs him through the heart. Yeah, and then the whole thing is. A slightly up-trained vet is going to operate him on him in the desert with with none of the right equipment and no like anti-rejection pills. I mean, I once dated a transplant patient. They take a lot of fucking pills. I don't think you can just shove a heart in that you don't know is a match anyway, and so what, everything ev- and everything's just going to be terrific. So, what what kind of terminator is he that he's got a heart? I don't fucking know. The film never addresses it. <laughs> like... he, he gets he, he he signs up for a load of stuff in two thousand and three. We next see him. He's not aged, and he's ostensibly the same age fifteen years later. He gets injured. He's clearly got an endoskeleton. Moon Bloodgood leans her head against him at one point. A completely wasted character, Blair Moon Bloodgood. She mm. needn't be in this at all. But she rests her head against his chest at one point, which again was supposed to be part of this budding love story they didn't bother following through with, which I don't mind, but don't don't tease me five different stories. Um, and she said what a strong heart he had. So we knew he had a human heart at the time. And they put it into John to save his life. And the, the first thing that just doesn't make sense is she's just a... She's a doctor. Now, vets are vets, and it's harder to get into veterinary school than it is medical school. And they've got to learn so many different animal anatomies and stuff like that. Vets are not less trained than doctors. But the idea that they can just upscale to be a doctor and then be a transplant surgeon, we don't know if these two are any kind of match at all, and he won't need any kind of drugs afterwards. And and, uh, it seems to sort of play the fact that he's the only option. 
Yeah. Like, the, 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 there's, there's no one else around. They can just sort of like, oh, he's not poor. Let's just grab him. <laughs> Particularly as there are deaths every fucking day, given you're in a war. Yeah. And see me, if you can get any of fucking heart, get another one. Um, But it's, it's the, the thing is strictly the most odd. There's like, you know, Christian Bale gives him like the most odd look like as he's lying down as if to say like, oh, thank you. But it's like, I think what well, any heroic character would be like, no, don't do this. You know, my life's not worth it. Any heroic character would do that. And it's just really weird. This kind of like, I have to carry on living because I'm the savior of the kind of thing. It's, it's really odd. It doesn't sit right with me. It's a little bit. But we've had little time. We've had no reflection from the Marcus character. He, he arrives blank in his future. Mm. Present day to the film, if you like. Um, we don't see any sense of his struggle. We see a sense that he doesn't really know where he is and what's going on. Mm. But we don't see any sense of struggle. Well, I died. What am I doing here? I thought when they were going to like use me for medical science, I thought fucking anatomy students would be cutting me up or something. I didn't. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and I. So we we get no sense of reflection on any kind of journey. We get no nothing about what he wants now. He's in the future. What he, he thinks his mission is. We get no real feel for what Cyberdyne were really going to do with him. Not really. At the same time, you've got John, who's just there sounding gruff. Well, what's driving him? We see him. We do see him listening to some tapes of his mother sometime, which Linda Hamilton did record for this. She did re-record all of that because they go a bit far beyond what you heard. It I thought in. I didn't think that was Linda Hamilton. Didn't it sound is like Linda it. Hamilton. Is it? Right it right? is. Yeah, she it recorded her roles. It's an uncredited role. Yeah. Um, Kind of like a sort of cameo almost, but yeah, no, she did come back to uh, yeah. to re-record she her did, lines. She, she matched the dialogue fairly well in that the bits we've heard before sound the same. Sounds like it could be the same bit of recording, but it goes on longer. So you would think it might be outtakes, but you know, from <clears throat> the original shoot, they recorded her saying a bit more, but it isn't. But we get no feel for her. Bryce Dallas Howard, we get nothing of at all except to stand next to John looking concerned and do some super surgery when she has to. Moon Bloodgood is in and out of the film before you fucking know it. <laughs> Kyle Reese is there because he's Kyle Reese. He's there to be a target. So who am I following? Who do I care about? Don't forget Star. Who have I learned about? Star is mute anyway. And we don't get any time with her. Thankfully, she's not super precocious. At least she's not hacking into fucking Ed 209 or anything. Um, so I'm looking at this film going, whose who's side am I on? Whose journey am I on? Whose perspective is this from? And there isn't an answer to any of that, is there? Well, no, no. because there's no character work I've done at all. I mean, here, like, I, I, as I said, other than like the basic pitch, meet John Connor, he, he's looking for... Kari's because he's his dad he wants to protect him and um, and yet he doesn't trust Terminators that, 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 that's the big there's nothing beyond that there's no there's nothing explored it's just oh here's Moon Bloodwood she uh, you know she finds uh, Marcus and uh, they they fall in love right okay she yeah she she, 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 she helps him escape right okay fine that's that's her character there's nothing beyond this. There's nothing. It's just because there's no time for anything else. It's just all just action, action, plot, plot device, action. It's just dull. 
Mm. Yeah. And that's really... Uh, then we get them flying off in a helicopter or whatever it is at the end with a voiceover where he says, I'm uh, John Connor, and he said, there is there is no fate but what we make, which annoys me because A, it wasn't in the original Terminator, and B, it's not the whole quote. Just even for ourselves on the end of that would make it a complete sentence. <laughs> there is no fate but what we make. It's like they might as well have cut him off mid-word. It doesn't sound right. And that's it, credits. This was meant to start a trilogy. Fuck knows what that would have been. You've, you've got no idea what, what you don't know. If you're sticking the Arnie's character, the Arnie chassis in 2018, then you don't know what your journey to 2029 or 2032 is anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what are you going to do? Make fucking John and like a Kyle a buddy fucking cop comedy? Maybe explore their growing relationship and Kyle sort of falling in love by proxy with his mother. John's mother, that is. That is <laughs> um, I, I, I have no idea where they would have gone with this, and I'm not sure they did either. I think it's just conceptually, when you start something that might be a little bit open-ended, you're saying, let's see if we can get three out of this. But you don't actually know what that would be. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it, Terminator Salvation. What a fucking struggle of a viewing and recording because I, I worried about T3 last week because T3's kind of thin. It's just a straightforward little chase movie. Let's get them to, to safety. But this this has nothing to offer. I've said, We've reviewed far worse. We've reviewed more offensive, put it that way. I, I'm not sure we've reviewed blander and less displaying of any vision at all this is just take half a dozen films McGee has seen that are set in either apocalyptic times or war war or kind of the desert yeah so anywhere 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 barren yeah right and just basically stick that on screen as visual iconography and then just take a load of characters we've heard of and sort of give them something to do we might recognise as being them. And that's it. No idea whose perspective it's from. That's all I'm going to say as my final thoughts. This film has no point of view whatsoever, and hence I think it's it's the most redundant Terminator film of the lot. And I thought 3 would be that, because it is a rehash, mm. but at least it sort of got us to the war if you wanted to do that. This offers nothing, and it went nowhere, and that's all I'm going to say. I think my favourite bit, my favourite bit was... It's the really forced line when you get Christian Bale to say, I'll be back. Yes. Oh, it's so cheesy. There are lots of other callbacks like that in the film. And, you know, the kind of come with me if you want to live sort of moment, the I'll be back moment, the kind of there's no fake, you know, what we make. And it's just like, they mangle that line. And it's not even in the original film. And yeah, that's just one of the cheesy callbacks. And it's just like, oh, really? Christian Good. Bale's not the actor you use roses. For. No, exactly. Yeah, but he's not the actor you use for nodding and winking lines. He's too no. he's too into a verisimilitude for that. You know, Christian Bale delivered that line honestly and wholeheartedly as part of like his character performance in the film. Of he did he didn't deliver it as hey. Yeah, nod wink wink, say no more. Yeah. So it's all wrong. He's wrong for it, to be honest. I think he I think he looks the part. Like, yeah. you know, he actually looks like John Cobb, but I, I say it's it's just isn't played very well, and he's not given anything to do, um, and there's just probably too much focus on the character itself anyway. Mm, yeah, 
I'm done with final thoughts. It's just who wants to chip in. Yeah. It's crap. <laughs> like I said. We so really is, are... this, is this the worst film we've had in the series? Oh, so, so far. far, yeah. 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 Yeah, I, t- I said at the start they declined in a straight line. The only bit that's giving me pause is I am struggling to believe I will find Genesis this blank. Boring's yeah. not e- boring is kind of the right word, but boring implies a slog, mm. and I didn't find it a slog. I I, I looked at I I, I I didn't deliberately lie per se, but I said I didn't look at the time. I did actually. I, I did a, a few minutes in where I realised I remembered it really wasn't going to be good. Mm. I looked just to see how far am I in and how long is it, but I didn't look again afterwards. It kind of went through all right. It just didn't offer anything. It's a Terminator film because you want to do a Terminator film that's not like any other Terminator film. So let it set it in that future bit we talked about. Yeah. So it went down well enough, but afterwards you kind of like left to kind of. It wasn't well reviewed. Um, The worst reviewed series in the series is next week, but it's got 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's still a third of critics Mm. that at least went, this is all right. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, I guess it, I wouldn't even say it was competent. I mean, from a filmmaking perspective, it is because like the shots are all in the right place and the sound works good. And I, at no point do I think the camera's in the wrong place or anything like that. So it's, it's competent from that perspective. But basic storytelling, you need it's, it's not it's not a vignette style film. So we need someone we need this to be from someone's perspective. Mm. And it isn't. And you think, well, that that's filmmaking 101. You've just failed. So it's actually, it's worse than I remember. But worst of all, and I haven't put an awful lot of emphasis on it, but you, your number one target used as a lure to your number two target. Um, this this was smart, superior sci-fi in 1984 and to some degree 1991. And it's degraded to the point that it's almost as bad as trying to convince the audience Palpatine is not like the Emperor in the prequels when like everyone watching can't understand how the Jedi don't know this it's that level of stupid but we've got worse to come I think I think I think anyway it does have one saving grace which I will come to when we come to review the film but yeah I think these two are probably for me certainly um, the weakest in the series Um, I just remember in the years that have passed since I saw it, thinking, well, at least they tried something different with this one and Genesis to some degree. <coughs> but as I think about it now, uh, this film is um, kind of lazy. But there you go. I might respect it more if I knew more about it. I don't know about you, Chris. Do you do you find that sometimes you watch a film that's utter genius, but you think it's a bit dumb because actually you're a bit dumb? Well, yeah, sometimes I do worry about that. Maybe. I'm not saying you are dumb. I'm saying, I was saying that came that, that's, that's, harsh. I'm saying that's what happens when you realise with regard to that film. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe I could have a more informed opinion um, with some new information that I could that I could use to uh, to assist in my opinion. I'm, I'm hoping five random facts elevate this to genius. But not just random facts. I mean... They have to be enjoyable in some form. Well, I think after I think, yeah, I think after such a dour film, facts that illuminate the general fun 
of the whole enterprise might mean we watch it with a smile on our face in future. Becca. Fingers crossed. <laughs> just before you go into that, I'm just looking at what Roger Ebert said about it. Yeah. After scrutinising the film, I offer you my summary of the story. Guy dies, finds himself resurrected, meets others, fights. This lasts for almost two hours. That was literally going to be a fight on That might be the most accurate review, Robert. That's actually, yeah, he's kind of like my go-to critic. So that was like my number five fun fact. Roger, I'm not anymore. I'll I'll pick another one. He died six years ago, but he was was dazzlingly good. Well, he was quite spot on. in in He was better in writing than he was on TV because he just had this turn of phrase. Just, just, you know, go, go and read any of his sort of collected works and him talking about Rob Schneider and shit like really that. He had a good, you know, a really good way with words for sure. But he was funny without trying to be funny. He was understated. It was good. Mm. I like how about um, Cisco as well. I think they just they had a really good rapport, obviously, and they were kind of known for, you know, their partnership was quite famous. Yeah, but I think, yeah, it's kind of I prefer. I, I enjoyed kind of seeing clips of him on TV, but I kind of did prefer reading his written reviews, and also listened to interviews as well, just on on his own. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I like about Kermit as well. He does have a real kind of a turn of phrase, as you say. Also, if you go to rogerebert.com, you can read some of my stuff as well. So. I know yeah, you can, exactly. I know you've written on Roger that's, Ebert. That's amazing. I just think that's incredible. That's like that's such a great honour. I like love the spirit of the guy still there as a legendary as well, because there are very, very few people that ever transcend the art of reviewing, and he's one of them. Whether you agree, would agree with him or he deserves that it's a different matter because we, we all see these things differently but yeah. uh, name name if any if you said to anyone in the world anyone who knew the business name the top three critics of all time he'd be in there yeah yeah he would oh, um so sorry fact us fact off fact off <laughs> <laughs> i used to work in the office as um <laughs> That was obviously a quite international office. We had um, many colleagues of many different nationalities. Uh, one lady, I was where she's from, somewhere in Eastern Europe, um, instead of saying, like, F off, she thought it was, like, fax off, like, as in sending a fax. We still send faxes in those days. So that's kind of, like, in our little friendship group, that's, like, our go-to phrase. Instead of saying, like, F off, it's literally, like, fax off. So that's, that's what it meant for my I'm just picturing the guy who came up with that as looking a bit like Colin from the Fast Show, the, oh, office, the office Joker. I'm an alien. Yeah. I'm an alien. The bells. The bells is Merlot with the spotty tie. Yeah. And well, silly hairdo. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Obviously, released in 2009, this was the film that marked the 25th anniversary of the Terminator series. Um, Fun fact number two: In several scenes. Carries can be wearing can be seen wearing Nike shoes. They're looking similar to the Vandals trainers that the character originally wore in the original Terminator movie. Um, obviously, as we mentioned earlier in the show, um, earlier on we see original footage of um, Sarah Connor's tapes, and obviously those lines are redubbed by Linda Hamilton. But she was uncredited in this role. Um, this is the first Terminator movie to be rated PG thirteen. In America, the others are rated R. Um, not really a fun fact, obviously, Stan Winston sadly passed away in June 2008, so this was likely the last film that he worked on. So sadly not a very fun fact, but a fact nonetheless. And that's my brisk facts of this 
rather dire film. I was going to say, you'd almost think her heart wasn't in it tonight, wouldn't you, folks? Um, <laughs> I'm just very angry. <laughs> very angry. I'm I, really like, honestly, sometimes you... Um, I mean, we're quite often wrong. I, I mean, I can really speak for myself, although we do talk about it between us sometimes. But sometimes I, I go into a film thinking, I don't get nervous, but I just get a moment sometimes where I think, I don't know if I'm going to have anything to say about this. And we're always all right. But I was watching this earlier, and I was thinking, oh, shit. Uh, and I don't get that very often. I, I might get a little, but it's almost a little irrational fear normally because you're always all right. You've always got something to say about a film, but I was watching this and it was flying through its running time of fuck all happening of any interest. And I'm thinking, oh God, oh God, this is going to be bad. <laughs> there you go. Charlie, do you have any um, six degrees of separation? Oh yeah, this one was actually really, really easy okay. um, because... Um, I've got an oval now. Um, I did write down those, so it's not as easy as it. There we go. Um, all right. So. So I put you on the spot. So this is a remi- This is rising damp to terminate a salvation. Yeah. Can't be done. Okay. So yeah, yeah. This um, right. So in rising damp, Miss Jones, Frances Delatour. She was in two Harry Potter films. Okay. And also in Harry Potter was Gary Oldman, who was Commissioner Gordon. Oh, yeah. In Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, etc., etc., with John Connor, Christian Bear. That wasn't bad. It was great. That was fabulous. I mean, if I can link Doc Martin to, uh, please, sir, to terminate a salvation, but that wasn't. I'll say Doc Martin, idea. really? <laughs> well, via Doc Martin, actually. But yeah. Including that, Francis Delatour? No. no. Not including Francis Delatour. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did wonder when we said when we it's said it, like, we don't normally give Charlie much warning. All other apart from tonight, all other six degrees he's done, he's done during the show because he didn't know what we were going to say. But the one, this one, I said earlier in the week, I'll make it right and damp. And I honestly thought he was going to go Len- via Joan Collins because that gets you into Hollywood. I thought he was going to go like Lena Roster, and she he was with yeah, but obviously not. I don't know what next week's is yet, but there you go. We know what Dark Fates is because we've already recorded it, and that's a fucking belter. Well, I've just given it away. It's please, sir. But the the music, <laughs> that, the music to that, the music to that's really good. I think I've heard that theme tune, but I had never seen it. Yeah, I don't remember the show very well, but yeah, I have to pick something really shit for next week because mind your language. No, <laughs> that's what I thought of actually. <laughs> don't do that. I did. I thought of mind your language because the you film can't do it these days. So oh my gosh. Gosh. Uh, well, let's go for something less controversial. Love thy neighbour. Something like that. Oh, no. <laughs> Man about the house. C- curry and chips. Uh... Don't do that. <laughs> curry and chips. <laughs> yeah. No. Actually, I've just hit on it. I know what I'm going to use. Right. Okay. Um, social media. You can find me at the Pasta Kid 1976 on Twitter. Uh, you can find me uh, at Seven Charts on Twitter. You can also find all the uh, podcasts at SevenCharts.co.uk, which is available on uh, Spotify, Google, and Apple. Charlie, where can we find you? You can find me at Movie Drone on Twitter. And don't forget, Charlie's articles can also be seen on WatchEbook.com, which I think is amazing. Thank you. So I just think that's really cool. <laughs> so thank you. But yes, you can also find us on Twitter at expect us to talk on Facebook.com slash do you expect us to talk? And we're also on YouTube. If you type in do you expect us to talk, you can find all our videos on there. And if you listen to us on iTunes, 
If you type in Do You Expect to Talk, you can also find all our episodes there. Don't forget to give us a nice, preferably five-star, but hopefully three-plus-star review. Helps us to rank higher and attract more of the lovely listeners. Um, and we are trying to get on more and more platforms, so news of that as it happens. If you want to drop us an email in the meantime, you can expect us to talk at gmail.com. Okay, um, well, I've I've identified a sitcom oh. that's nearly as fucking bad as Terminator Genesis, so that's, that's a win. Um, so, yeah, uh, we, we have just given it away, but for the sake of the format, sign us off, Becca. Yes, do you expect to talk will return with a Terminator spelling mistake, otherwise known as Terminator Genesis.